a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today we have with us uh, Darcy Van Orden. She has a brilliant father that um, was unfortunately uh, saddled with the disease of of Alzheimer's um, and uh, she's going to share with us her story. Darcy is a longtime friend of mine. We have been through some amazing life experiences together. I actually got to meet her dad. They lived out in, is it West Virginia that they were living? No, Northern Virginia. Northern. Falls. Northern. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was beautiful. Their land, yeah. their home. And I got to meet her dad and her dad definitely loved his baby girl. <laughs> I, that that came through clear to me. Darcy, tell us about your dad. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's definitely an emotional subject. Um, I've never been able to talk about my dad without being emotional. So uh, for me, today is definitely be hard. Um, it's okay. Yeah. To start off by saying... Um, I guess the biggest thing I want to say is um, my greatest privilege in life is absolutely being the daughter of Robert Joseph Taylor. And um, my dad was my hero. Gosh, I didn't feel like... It's <laughs> I, okay. I was hoping it wouldn't start off so emotional, but here we are. Um, <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, my dad was my dad was absolutely my hero and just he was absolutely the greatest man I've ever known. And I know that some women say they have daddy issues. I'm like, my issues are that my dad was so wonderful. Mm. And I think um, that makes it difficult, I think, to date post-divorce and other things and just realize that like, you know, he set such a high bar in my (laughs) life and represented kind of everything in my example in my life. And so I feel, I feel more than anything, I just feel super grateful to to have been his daughter so um i'll start there Uh, my dad grew up a very modest means in magna utah um he was the son of he was the oldest of five boys and he was the son of a machinist my grandfather in the kennecott copper mill and so you know as the oldest son you know kind of led led his brothers in so many so many amazing ways um when i like to think about my father's childhood i imagine him very much like 
the young the young man in October Sky. Um, my father's mind was absolutely brilliant. He was um, kind of a prodigy in, in math and science. Um, he started building rockets in elementary school and you know through high school and other other times in his life. Um, he attended um, Cypress High School. Uh, he was the editor of the school newspaper, a straight A student, of course, and uh, also the valedictorian in his class. Um, after high school, he served a mission um, in the Eastern States Mission, and that covered New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut, and that's actually where my parents met. My mom also served Eastern States Mission, which I think was pretty exceptional for her time to be serving a mission at that time for their church, um, uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so they met on their mission. Uh, they both served at the Mormon Pavilion at in 1965 at the World's Fair. Oh. Uh, so it was an, an incredible opportunity um, to connect with just the world in that very special way. So um, that is just um, an awesome experience that they had together. Um, after um, their missions, you know, they courted. My father was at University of Utah getting his degree in mathematics. Um, one of my favorite stories I like to tell that I learned um, when my parents were dating, uh, my father, he was bold in his pursuit of my mother. And just so you know, the story I'm about to share is it feels kind of out of character for my dad, but um, just in how he pursued her following their mission is that he asked her on a date, they went, my mom, you know, she was, you know, meeting other suitors and she told him, hey, we, you know, we're going to have a date earlier in the day. She's like, but I am planning to meet another gentleman later. And he's like, great, let's let me walk you to your other date, right? So my, <laughs> <laughs> so my father, you know, walks my mom to this other date. He takes her by the hand and walks her there. And when they arrive at this date, he just won't let go of her hand. My mom is like struggling to like get my dad <laughs> to let go of her hand. He won't. And he just says to this gentleman as he arrives, he said, where are we going? And so I think quickly that, you know, the other suitor got the hint that, um, he didn't want to be the third wheel on this on their you know team date so he just left and my mom obviously a little frustrated with him but uh nonetheless that was you know one of those bold kind of out of character moments for my dad but he was he was pursuing my mom and said like that's it you know um <laughs> that is be so mine. great he was not gonna let her <laughs> he go. was gonna hang on he, to her at all he costs. wasn't I he wasn't that. he's like oh. so just um just fun to think about all of that and then after after they were married, um, they went off to Cornell. And that's where my father went and got his PhD in physics. Um, and so for after that, um, he got his first job at John Hopkins Applied Physics Lab in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, so my parents moved, of course, there. Um, just prior to that, they lost their first child. Um, Tiffany was their first, and um, they were living in Potomac, Maryland. She died of, of SIDS. Oh, and my goodness. Months old. Yeah. And so that was um, obviously a difficult time for them being that they were both the oldest in their family. It was the first grandchild. Um, she she passed of SIDS. Um, oh then when they got then then when they moved to Maryland um, into Columbia, Maryland, we were all we all six of us then were born within nine years um, in the oh, Howard bless County your General mother. Hospital. I know. I know. So so 
had the, uh, six kids there. And um, I can just tell you that um, my dad was just exceptional in everything that he did. Um, obviously, you know, he was a rocket scientist, so absolutely brilliant man. Um, just to mention briefly in his career, um, he researched everything from um, space surveillance, um, space surveillance, hypothermia, uh, super flywheel, which is the principles that electric cars um, work on, all kinds of radar, um, working with satellites. Um, my, my mother, while I was in, towards the end of elementary school, um, she had breast cancer and it was, it was pretty advanced. And, um, you know, my dad, you know, at, prior to my mom getting cancer had like never cooked anything like he had made toast. And so <laughs> when, you know, when my mom, when my mom was sick and not available, you know, with six kids, I mean, my dad, you know, he just stepped up. I mean, initially it was like pork and beans and like a yeah, cheese sandwich, not a grilled cheese sandwich, but just like bread <laughs> with cheese in the microwave. Right. And so, you know, we were all just kind of like, what are we, what are we eating? It's so different from mom, but, um, you know, in time, but no matter what, he always stepped up. He was always there um, to step up and help. And so, um, you know, in doing all these things. So as, you know, when that occurred with my mother, he became very interested in cancer. And so he was still with John Hopkins and he kind of expressed some of this interest. And so they actually had him uh, start to do additional research on cures for cancer. And he traveled not only to about four major institutes in the nation, including the Huntsman Cancer Center, but that was all part of his research and finding out what all the different institutes were doing in relation to um, the curing of cancer. So uh, just an incredible thing um, that my dad, because of my mother, was so interested in finding that cure. Um, so I guess when it gets back to my dad and his just day-to-day -day work, I feel like the reality is, he, you know, he would tell us snippets. I mean, the reality is he was, all of his work was pretty top secret. You know, he didn't really go into a lot of, you know, details about what he was doing every day. Um, so for the most part, I, I think a lot of that was a mystery to us and especially as kids. So I would always joke that my dad um, stirred plutonium at work all day and that was his major <laughs> function. And he would laugh and he loved that idea. And we would just we would just kind of leave it there um, that that That's was hilarious. his daily activity. But he was really just so heavily involved in it in, in so many things. Um, including, you know, boost phase of, um, of um, inter, in, um, intercontinental ballistic missiles. I mean, just everything. So he was just had his hands on a lot of things over his, the entirety of his career. Um, but more than anything, I love I loved the fact I was his baby girl. I had two older sisters and three brothers. Um, and I just, I just loved being able to make my dad laugh. That was always important to me. Um, and he had an infectious laugh. Um, but really, even though my father accomplished, I think so many incredible things, I feel like that had nothing on who he was as a father and who he was as a person. I feel like who he was in general is just a loving, kind, um, just sweet, humble person. And that's really the essence of who my father was. He was just a gentle person. He radiated love. Um, he was he was without guile. I never heard my father speak ill of anyone. Um, he's he was just a gentle person by nature, 
and and sweet and happy and just always willing and always doing. Um, despite him being the most intelligent person I've ever known, he was also the most humble. And that's what I think impressed me the most is he was always humble. He was always kind. He was always helping um, and just a true servant leader by nature. Um, he had his hands in everything that we were doing as kids. He um, he would go to work. He would wake up super early. By the way, he was like one of those early to bed, early to rise. Um, often he'd get to bed. You know, he was he was definitely cash. By 9 p.m. he was asleep. Like, we could always tell by 8:30 in his chair, and he's just, you know, he just couldn't wait to get to bed, right? And so, but prior to that, it was like because he was productive, he was doing so many things to help us all prior to bedtime that for sure he was just absolutely exhausted and just I just think about the fact that he he never watched television he was always engaged in a good work I honestly only have one memory of my father watching tv and that was actually I can I can literally pinpoint this he it was in it was in 1989 and I was I was 10 years old and we were watching the news broadcast of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Oh. And my my father is, he is just weeping. He is just weeping and, and watching and watching this. And I just remember him. He just wanted, he just wanted to share with me and, and the rest of us just the significance of what was happening and why it was so important. And all of us should understand Um how important this moment was for the world. And that was honestly the only time I even remember him ever watching TV. You know, he'd usually, you know, tease us if we were sitting and watching, he'd be like, turn that crap off. Like, go do something productive, you know, go expand your mind, go do something. And we, we would laugh and we'd, you know, go read right. a book. Sure like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. He was right. Like there was something else that we needed to do to be engaging our minds or, you know, working on something productive and he was always finding ways to engage us. I mean, he had, he had a garden, you know, that, and he was always composting and like, you know, teaching us things. And I mean, when it came down to it, it's like homework wise, like, honestly, I could ask my dad anything. He always had an answer. Um, You know, he, he loved just doing stuff with us. He was always taking us swimming or going on a bike ride or, you know, going on a walk. He loved, I mean, without fail, we always had like a Sunday walk around the lake together as a family and, or we'd be riding bikes and then just, or he'd be taking us to the ice rink. He, all my brothers played hockey. He'd be watching, you know, going, going to all their games. All of us played lacrosse. Um, so he'd be coming to our games and he loved watching us all play sports. Um, honestly, every weekend we, as a family went to either, the science center, which, you know, he loved that because obviously he could teach us more about science at the science center and, or we'd be going to the national aquarium. So it was just something engaging, but, you know, my parents and, you know, made the family time such a priority in my family and my father, I mean, he was such a man of patience. Like I just, if anything else, he was just so patient and every year, um, we would drive, I mean, obviously we're growing up in Maryland, we would drive to Utah every year. So both of my parents had grown up here, you know, all of our extended family was here, aunts, uncles, cousins, all our grandparents. So every year we would take this drive, you know, from Maryland to Utah in our van. 
And I mean, honestly, like he had, my parents were like saints to do this with like their six kids, you know, like <laughs> all those hours. Like I, like, I just, I feel like I have PTSD from uh-huh. thinking about some time on that drive, you know, That's so an intense road trip every single summer, <laughs> right? Every, every single summer without, without a doubt, we'd spend like three weeks in Utah. Cause it was just like, okay, like when we got to drive back, we got to like prep first prep for this emotionally. Oh, yeah. Right. So, so yeah, so it was just all of that, but beyond that, you know, you know, he would, you know, he would enjoy taking us to, we go as a family to the Smithsonian and, um, you know, visiting all the historical spots of Williamsburg, Gettysburg, Philadelphia. Um, he put such an emphasis on knowing and understanding our family history. Um, so one of the incredible things that my father did is he started, you know, this major documentation process this is prior to the internet right like he's writing letters to ancestors and visiting historical sites and trying to research our family history um i mean he did he was constantly writing letters and other things but you know he would take us out to pennsylvania um because our our ancestors were quakers and they had they were they'd they'd actually our my ancestor was you know he was the treasurer with william penn so they founded the state of Pennsylvania, you know, in the late 1600s. And so like, it was important for us to go visit like one of the st- historical homes of our family there and just like understand our Quaker heritage, which I, I value. I have such a tremendous um, connection to Quaker beliefs and ideals. I feel like that's, that's so much about um, what my, you know, my beliefs I feel like are just completely in concert with so much of the Quaker belief system. Um, so it's beautiful. And he made that, he made it so important. Um, he was just very active in his, you know, by nature, always engaging in good work. Like I mentioned, he had, you know, this garden that he liked to tend to. Um, I just remember him giving us, you know, giving me wheelbarrow rides as a child, um, you know, just wanting to keep us engaged in good work. Like even just like, Hey, you got to clean out the garage. And you just think you all roll your eyes and you're like, Oh my gosh, dad, don't do this to us this Saturday. But it's like, <laughs> We just got to go out. We got to do that. But there's no getting out of it. So there's get no out getting the out of it. And honestly, you would never want to say no to my dad, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not an authoritarian by any means. He's gentle. He's loving. He's kind. Like he's not a disciplinarian, right? So it's almost like if my dad asks, like if it's, it is granted, right? So it's just, um, but yeah, even hard things. But he always made it, always made it worthwhile. Um, but yeah, growing, growing things in the garden, he, you know, he did that, um, you know, he was always helping us with homework, as you can imagine, you know, your father's, you know, rocket scientist can help you with your, your science fair project. Right. Like I was like, yeah, I hate to be the kid in your class. when You show up and be like, wait, Darcy, did your dad help you with your homework? I don't know about that. Exactly. I'd be like, dad, can you get clearance from APL so we can like, you know, extend some of this into my project, you know, like what can we, what can we do here? He sounds like such amazing. an amazing dad. I'm just listening to all these memories. I'm thinking, man, he kind of sounds exhausting just to be so. <laughs> but but you could tell he loved life and he was involved in your life, in his in his professional life, in your community life, in the sport life, everything. I've loved learning about him a bit. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we want you to help us see the transition that maybe came as he got older and unfortunately was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So we'll be right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. 
they pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Darcy, I'm still laughing about asking your dad for help with math homework because I'd be like, okay, dad, it's not rocket science. Oh, wait, it is rocket science. Wait a second, I'm stuck. So you've got this amazing dad who sounds just just all in, engaged in life, family life, professional life, everything that he does. There's, there's no sitting back on the couch just flipping the remote through channels. Tell us about the transition and, and what happened and when in your life you guys entered a new stage um, as you started to battle the Alzheimer's disease. Absolutely. So that, I would say that transition came, it wasn't until about after he had retired. So, which, you know, at 65, I feel like that's still a fairly early onset, I think. And it was, it was very subtle at first. Um, At first it kind of looked like, you know, as he had always been by nature, this gentle patient person. Right. And all of a sudden he would become a little more impatient. Right. And he would be easily flustered or frustrated by, you know, things happening around him, you know, it's just, and then I, and, and so here's the thing I was, you know, I moved out to Utah in 2006. Um, I would be back in Virginia visiting my parents probably between one and three times a year. So I did, I did see that subtle just change in him over time as I was back there fairly regularly. And I, I, so it was just, it was, it was very incremental. It was very slow. So it wasn't even like at first, I think it took several years before we even realized that like, um, we need to go get this diagnosis for sure. So it really? was just, it so was one- at, at what point did you get to, to that? What maybe, what did you start to see that was like, okay, you guys, I think we're going to need to get in and, and get a diagnosis. How do you know when it goes from, he's just getting a little older to, I think there's something going on. Well, I mean, one of the big moments for me was I remember flying home, going in and excited to see my dad. You know, I felt like he just became increasingly withdrawn over time. But I just remember sitting down with him and being like, Dad, you know, I just got back. You know, I'm excited to see you. What have you been up to? And his reaction was that, oh, he's kind of like, I was dry. I'm like, dry. He was like, I was just driving today. And I'm like, well, Dad, where did you go? And he was just like, pause. And he was just like, I don't remember. Hmm. And it was just one of those things where I was like, you don't remember where you were? Like what happened? You know, and then he really, he really couldn't answer and didn't have an answer for me. And that's when I was kind of like, mom, like we've got to talk. Like dad doesn't seem to remember where he was earlier in driving. You know, he, he shouldn't be driving, you know, he's not having a recollection on things. And I, and I feel like, because obviously my mom was around him and his caretaker full time, you know, like, I think, you know, he just kind of had a, I would say a very like, you know, normal schedule every day where he would just, he would want to go to Great Falls Park and enjoy the beauty there. And then maybe he'd run to the grocery store and want to get 
some more yogurt or fruit, right? Like, it's not like, I don't think he ever really went too far. He just kind of had this regular routine, but it was even still with that. That's what I think became concerning. But I know that like my mom realizing like she was going to have to take his keys away. She knew that that was going to be a struggle. Right. And, and, yeah. yeah. And like, how do you address that? And, you know, he would get upset and be, con- you know, a concern of what's happening. And, and I think he could tell too, like he was frustrated by the fact that he couldn't remember things. Right. And, and for somebody as brilliant as a mind that he's, that he, that my father had, like, that was just like the hardest, most devastating thing. And, um, so I feel like those were some of the moments that helped. And I, and I do feel like my mom and his caretaker also wanted to believe that this wasn't happening, right? Like she wasn't losing her, her husband, you know, of all these years is losing his mind. I, I feel like, you know, for her, that was, that was difficult to deal with as well, as well as in, increasing her responsibility as caretaker. That takes its toll on people for sure. Um, so I would say some, losing some of his patients, you know, being bothered by, little things that never bothered him before. And then, as I mentioned previously, my dad had been somebody who had always been early to bed, early to rise. And it seemed that over time, like he was just getting less and less sleep. And I, and I, and I really believe as I look back on how little sleep he got over the years, that um, that was such a key factor in like his body was never rejuvenating. You know what I'm saying? Like he was not getting, like they always say like you, like people need seven to nine hours. People are pretty firm on some of these sleep study beliefs. I know there's people who say, oh, I, I don't need that. I need less. I'm, I'm telling you as somebody, I know that I need seven hours. I know for him over time, he would just be getting less and less sleep. And I really don't think, I think that that really affects your cognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that that just continued to worsen um, over time. And um, go ahead. So what year was this? Um, you had mentioned when he retired, he's 65 or so. How old was he by the time you're looking at this saying, okay, this is, this is actually something. And you said it was kind of incremental. What, what kind of time period passed before you actually had a diagnosis or knew what was going on? I feel like, a, I feel like it was a good five years in. I think it was shortly after he was like, you know, in his early seventies, sometime there, I think that was the hard time when my mom, I think came to the, was willing to be at that realization of saying, Hey, like this, we've got to really look deeper into this. Let's go meet with a doctor. And this is the thing too. And this is another factor is my father didn't want to meet with doctors, right? He doesn't want to be poked and prodded. Sure. You know, that that's even that, that, you know, as his condition worsened, that was like the last thing he ever wanted to do was, was to be meeting with doctors about things and it would just frustrate him to no end. So it was just one of those, those hard things of, you know, he didn't want to be taking medication. He didn't want to, you know, be drugged or anything else. So um, I'll let these issues continue to compound. Um, and I, like I said, I would go back and see him and he would just have less to say, right? And he would be more internal and it would just, um, it was it was hard. And, and just, just to see how his, where his mind was going. And I would try to bring up you know, things that, Hey, remember we would, I mean, we, he just taught me so many things in my life and did not be able to any longer discuss those things. It was apparent to me that he pretty soon had no memory of any of his life's work, right. Any of these important projects that he had engaged in over these, over the years, you know, he had written, you know, published a family book of genealogy with nearly 10,000 names, wow. you know, wow. and he had, 
he had no recollection of this. He had written, um, he had self-published a, a spiritual book. Uh, we are all children of God. And he had no, you know, it's like you try to discuss these things with him. It's clear he's, he's not remembering. And so then Darcy, just, was he, earlier you mentioned that at the beginning he would get frustrated that he couldn't remember. As it got worse and he really couldn't remember some of these things, was he aware? Like did, would, would he... Would that frustration continue and get worse, or was it kind of an an ignorance where he really just didn't know what he didn't know? It was it was a frustration with him. I could tell that he it's like he knew that something was not right. I mean, he was such a brilliant person. I mean, he had I mean he had tricked doctors, right? Like mm-hmm. he I mean there were t- I mean the list goes on. I mean, I feel like the brilliance was always there and he was grasping for it. And he knew yeah. that like his body is strong and it's like, he's so frustrated that like his mind is not working and he knows it. I think that's my, my personal biggest fear. Like I said uh, before thinking, getting to the point where you've lived a life, particularly a man as brilliant as your father and to not be able to remember you know, where he went today and, and the frustration that must come with that. Tell us, was your mother the primary caretaker? Did it get to the point where she needed outside help to care for him as the years went on? So she was the primary caregiver and she was for a good solid 11 years. Oh my goodness. Um, so my father, I lost him piece by piece incrementally for 12 years. Wow. And so as things came to a head and my mom knew that Number one, they, my parents wanted to come back to Utah. That was always their goal. And so they needed to get ready and sell my parents home. And in preparation for that, I just said, mom, I think it's time. I was like, I want to come get dad. We're going to bring him here. And then you can get, you can get the house sold and then, you know, move out following that. And so, um, so that happened in 2018 um, is when, you know, we made this plan. Um, I would fly out, um, I would fly out and then, you know, my, and I was, you know, preparing obviously to bring my father back and with me. And that was a really emotional moment because I was so worried thinking about all the possibilities, what could happen on this flight. Mm -hmm. Like I said, like in anticipation of that, I was just praying and praying because I was so worried that like, like I said, he didn't want to be touched by strangers. Right. I was so worried in anticipation of like, what if the TSA pats him down and he freaks out? What if he gets really irritable? Yes, he's really irritable in a bad mood. What if he, number one, doesn't want to leave my parents' home, which he had been lived in for, you know, three decades. Mm -hmm. And like, it was always his safe place, his garden, everything. And like, you know, him not want, I mean, you know, he hadn't been on a plane for many years at this point, right? And, you know, and, 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 and prior to that, I would say prior to that moment, maybe about a year before that moment, um, I had come home and this was a really devastating moment for me. I'd come home and I had arrived excited to go into my parents in the room. And my mom was in the middle of saying, Darcy's here. And then my father's response to that is who's Darcy. And so like in that moment, it's like my heart just sank. Cause I'm just like, my dad doesn't know who I am. And I just, it's just one of those things where it's like, you always feel like this is happening. But at the same time, when you have like the confirmation, you're just like, it's so devastating. And then, but I also felt like when I see him, you know, of course he sees me, he's loving, I, you know, I give him a hug, but at the same time, like cognitively, he didn't know it's like, who's Darcy or is Darcy my daughter? You know what I mean? It's like, he can't place it. Right. 
Um, so in anticipation of like a year later, here I am about to bring him on the plane. I'm so worried that like, he's going to get upset. He's going to get frustrated. He's going to get kicked off the plane. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't follow right. instructions. Right. Right. Like, and, like these, these and it things just become, gets more aggravating and more yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Like these things turn into felonies before you know it. Right. right. Like right. they don't, most people aren't trained. Most people aren't trained to deal with people with, with Alzheimer's. No. Right. right. The police aren't trained. Most, most professionals aren't trained. Right. This is a very special um, situation for people to understand the difference between somebody who's just like belligerent. You know, yeah. Yes. Versus, so you know what I mean? Like did, actively did not the flight work. Did it, did it work out? Okay. Or was it every disaster you'd worried about? So I, I had prayed a ton. I'd opened it up to my social media. I said, I need prayers for my dad today. I really yeah, do. And, yeah. and it ended up being the, such a beautiful day. My father, I never, I hadn't seen him in such good spirits for like oh. ever. Right. Like it was one of those things where he was in, he was totally blissful, very childlike. We, we had such a great time. We sat next to each other and, and we watched the same movie together and talked about it. And he was excited and he was enjoying and he was pointing at, you know, pointing at the movie going on. And he was like telling me what he thought was happening. And, you know, it was just all the, all of it, it went really well. And I was so grateful uh, oh, that for that moment. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. But, but I, but uh, prior to that, I was so concerned just yeah. thinking of all the possibilities that could happen. The anticipation. So yeah. that was, that was 2018 when you brought him back. How much longer did he last and what did the end end up looking like? If you don't mind my asking as, as things progressed. So he, he lasted about a year, just over a year prior to that. Um, immediately he, he came in, you know, he had brothers back here. If you hadn't seen brother, that's a good, you know, 12 years younger than him was like, Hey, like, let's have him come stay with me. I'd love to, you know, get to know him again. It's been so long. Um, so it was beautiful that he got to re-engage with his younger brother. Um, so, but, but once again, difficult. Cause like I said, his, he increasingly um, just was losing his faculties and other things. So it was difficult for him. Um, you know, he did enjoy that time. I think it was a beautiful time that he enjoyed several months living with his brother as that became increasingly difficult. He went and um, stayed with my sister um, and then, you know, and, and he would occasionally come, you know, stay with me some and my other sister on occasion. And so in that intermittent assisting of him, I can tell you it was difficult. Like it was hard. Um, he, when he'd come to my home, it didn't look like what he was used to, right? He was used to my sister's house. So he'd come in and he'd look around and he'd be like frustrated, like where are we? You know what I mean? And he'd be, you know, he could just tell, he'd be complaining that my kitchen's in the wrong place. Bedrooms are in the wrong places. Like, why are the stairs over here? So like he knew what he was familiar with and he knew that like, this was not what he is familiar right. with. Right. This was not it. Totally not it. And so he was totally out of sorts when he was here and frustrated by it. And, you know, he, you know, he enjoyed taking a ride in the car, but if we were here and I think bedtime was the hardest because you know, number one, he, at this point, he, it's like, he didn't sleep anymore. Like, I mean, I think he went from, early, from the most sleep he probably ever got in his life, you know, earlier prior was somewhere five to six hours. By this point, he might've been sleeping one to three, one to two hours. If oh that. my goodness. And, and wow. so not even, so just restless. Just so his body, restless. like you said earlier, his body really couldn't rejuvenate or reset mm -hmm. with, with that little sleep. Not at all. And so he, 
I just remember that like I couldn't sleep because I could hear my dad like stirring. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could hear him downstairs opening doors, opening cabinets. Like, and I was so afraid that he was gonna like open my front door and walk out. Right. You know, and like, right. what would I do? Like, what would I do? You know what I mean? And so I was like, I can't sleep. And I'm like, I'm like, he. You're just on high alert. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, and then it's like, I, I know for myself, I need seven hours. If I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to cry the next day. Like it's going to be a meltdown. Well, you start to fall day. apart that caregiver stress that, that is so wearing on you. Yeah. And I just had a, I just had a snippet of it, right? I wasn't his primary caregiver. And so I just seeing that little small amount of it was so hard, just, you know, in the times when, when, when I did assist. And so I just knew that like, man, this is hard. It's hard for my sister and her family. You know, it's hard for my other sister when, when she assists. And so it's just one of those things where it was such a realization of, and he had lost his faculties. Suddenly I'm caring for him like a child. Right. And right. it's like, it's a total role reversal and so hard. And so, so, so sad. Cause like I said, it just, you know, I just know how brilliant his mind is. And just to see that we can't have those conversations. We can't reminisce, you know, I know all these things that I always wanted to talk with him about more. I'd always learned so much from him. He was my greatest teacher and just, I can't, it doesn't happen anymore. Right. And so it's just, it was one of those things where it became so increasingly difficult too, for my sister as well, that I, I was like, this is, there's no way, you know, as the months roll on that she's going to be able to continue. He needs 24 hour care, which, which, you know, families aren't equipped to give. Right. right. It's like, right. You know, no. she has her kids, you know, she's working, her husband's working, you know, everybody's, you know what I mean? So it's just one of those things where how do you provide that? Right. Her kids are normally in school all day. So she's not, you know, she's not at home with her kids all day. Um, So then it became abundantly clear that uh, we had to look into a memory care facility, which we did. So uh, he ended up in his last, you know, few months of life in that facility, which was a beautiful place. Um, You know, I'm grateful for the staff. I think that they were, they were wonderful. Um, I must say that my dad had, I mean, at one point he did observe and watch people put in the code and he almost snuck out of there and he easily <laughs> could have hightailed it right out there. I mean, literally, he has such His a brilliant mind. Was that, with like, him to the end. Yep. Right. He's like, I'm out of here, people. But, um, and they had to figure that out. They're like, we've never had this per- happen before. We got to change the locks. We got to do all this stuff for your dad. I'm like, okay, sorry. <laughs> like, um, but it was just, um, but I am grateful for, you know, having him here, having that time with him, you know, one-on-one at the end. Um, I guess one of my only regrets is my daughter being 13. She's never seen my dad in his, you know, in his, in his clear mind. Right. She never knew him that way. She's she's never known him the way I knew him. And so that for me, like, you know, it's, it's sad just because I could only tell her the stories of that. Right. Um, But just, I was so grateful because despite the fact that my father didn't know my name, right. Or couldn't say that's my daughter definitively. When I did go to see him without fail, he always looked at me with a level of recognition. He always like, he he knew, he knew that I was his family, but he didn't know necessarily who I was to him. He just knew that I was, I was his some way, somehow. Uh, And so I was grateful for that. that I, I see where you can be grateful and yet it's still such a painful thing it is. to have it your is. daddy not be able to recognize his baby girl. Like definitely after um, such a close life. It was. And I, and I also just, but I was so grateful just to be able to sit with him and hold his hand and he'd put his arm around me. 
Um, I remember it was probably some sometime between a, probably a little more than a month before he passed. I just remember feeling like he's going to leave this earth very soon. And I just remember sitting with him and he had his arm around me and I just, I just sat there and I wept and he just put his arm around me and he just always was loving and encouraging and just, just good to the end, always encouraging, just, just best of the best. And so it's like, I just knew it wasn't going to be much longer. And I was just grateful to have that time with him. I just wanted to hold my dad's hand and have his arm around me. And that just, that was beautiful. And I'm, and I'm glad. And then it wasn't, it was a little more than a month after that. So it was, he passed on March 9th of 2019. Mm. So that's still very recent. I mean, at the time we're recording this, that's barely just two years. Can you tell us what what has that journey looked like since his passing? Uh, we talk a lot on this program about resilience and what it is and how how we have kind of these journeys of resilience and the highs and the lows. Can you walk us through what that's been like for you, particularly the last couple of years since you lost him? Yeah. Um, I would say first and foremost, um, I was... You know, his, his, his funeral was a celebration. Um, I couldn't be more proud, you know, to be his daughter. Um, I was, I was um, privileged to have the opportunity to give um, part of his life sketch. So his, his brother gave his sketch of his young life. And then I got to give his sketch starting, you know, you know, as, you know, when he graduated high school and then I got to give his life sketch, as, you know, and his young life and as a father and everything else. So I would say that was a beautiful moment for me because that I wanted to be able to write that all down and have that documented. And um, to be able to give that was definitely a gift and, and to be surrounded um, by all my amazing siblings. You know, my two brothers flew back from the East Coast. And, um, you know, obviously I have my I have two sisters here and a brother here. Um, so I was just so grateful. And then, of course, his and then all of our extended family to be surrounded by all of our extended family and, um, you know, good friends of his and people who could share stories of him that knew him in college or at, you know, at the U or at Cornell or, um, you know, served a mission with him and um, just other things, just to hear more things that I had never heard before uh, was such a gift. And we recorded that funeral. Um, so it's like, I, I've listened to that. I've listened to that from time to time, just because I like to hear the words of, you know, from, from his brother's perspective of, you know, what, what he was like as a brother and what he was like growing up, because those are just cherished moments that, um, just bring me so much joy. Um, I would also say, um, in addition to that, just shifting into a, a place of, gratitude in knowing that I, I was given such a gift to grow up in the home that I did, that I, that I grew up in. I mean, both of my parents were exceptional overachievers. Both were straight A students and um, just magnified every aspect of their life. And that was, that was who my father was, um, as he magnified his calling as a husband, he magnified his calling as a father. Um, he was exceptional in his, in the workplace, no question. Um, but beyond that, he was just this exceptional, you know, citizen. I mean, he would write letters to politicians if he was frustrated about something happening in the world. And he was just always writing letters, right? And just letting his voice be heard and letting it be known. Um, so I was, 
I've, I've been in this place of gratitude and reflecting of, I, I am so lucky to be grown up um, having the thought that I have in that home um, and realizing that I think many of the problems in society have come from the fact of um, absentee fathers. And so knowing that like I was given such a gift and I am so grateful to have had him as an example in my life, um, that's what brings so much meaning to me and realizing that like I, I was given such that, that gift growing up in that home, having such an incredible example as a father who set the bar high for my life and, and what I want to achieve and how I want to live my life. So I think that my father is that for me. He's that, that, that example of, of how I want to be. I feel like as a person, he exemplified Christ consciousness. You know, he is somebody who was loving and kind to everyone. You know, he was always somebody who, like I said, was more soft-spoken, but, you know, he was firm in his resolve, you know, high integrity, always his word, you know, somebody who was giving back and always a servant leader, right? He was always teaching. He was always reaching out. If there was ever an opportunity to spend quality time with my dad one-on-one, like if I, if it just meant going to the grocery store when I was little, I would do it. I would take that opportunity because I just wanted to be in his presence. I wanted to be around him because he just exuded love. And so for me, it's, it's very much about saying, Hey, this is the model I want for my life. You know, he was such a happy person because of who he was for the love that he had and the love that he shared for other people. So um, for me, it's been about, you know, taking that meaning to heart and um, internalizing that and, and wanting to live up to to his example as much as I can, which I know I I fail on a regular basis. I I think that my dad was this incredible person. Um, the way I, I can best describe him is he was like a mix between Albert Einstein and Gandhi. You know, like <laughs> that's a great mix. It is. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like a lot of times I meet intelligent people, but they want to let you know how smart they really are, right? They they're the first to to tell you how smart they are, whereas I feel like because he was so smart yet, he was so humble and he was so kind. And so um, for me, I I fall short every day, but I want to do my best to be my best self because of the example I've been given in my home. I love hearing this story. I've known you for a while and uh, I've seen you participate in, in political endeavors and things that you're interested and passionate about. Um, your justice, uh, what is it called? The um, Utah Justice Coalition. Utah Justice Coalition. There's my Alzheimer's. <laughs> um, I couldn't think about it. Anyway, uh, you're involved in those things that are you're very passionate about. I can see a lot of uh, similarities of the example your dad set. And, and the direction that your life has taken off. And I'm sure he's very proud of his daughter. I hope so. I, I, I'm sure he is. Um, it is so difficult to lose the people that we love in little increments and pieces while we are watching it happen. And, you know, the hard thing is, is that when it's our parents, we grow up and we move on. We move away from them. We get busy with our own lives. We have our own obligations. And sometimes it's not 
sometimes it's just distance. I know for me, I'm 12 hours away from my parents. It's, it's not easy to bridge that gap. And, and, um, you know, it's just, it's so challenging to go through something like this and lose them. And it's also interesting that it, for your dad, this was really drawn out. He'd been showing signs for a very long time. We had a, um, a show that we did earlier with Raven, who was, is a program manager for the Alzheimer's Association. She pointed out that the average uh, span of this disease is about eight years. So he definitely um, pushed the limits even on this. Had to be really challenging for your mom as well. Yes, it was, it was, it was definitely difficult. I can't imagine. Cause like I said, I just got a small, you know, you know, in the time when he would come to visit me and that was, it was challenging because like I said, he'd be stirring all night. He'd be upset that, you know, my house didn't look like my sister's house, you know, or just, you know, generally frustrated with things. And I was thinking, man, it would be so hard to do this for a decade or longer. Oh Very yeah. Difficult. And it's just so challenging because they do get so confused. They get set in their ways and then they are very confused if their surroundings change. So that going to place to place had to be a real challenge for his mind as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So amazing. I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. Um, Yeah, Darcy, thank you for joining us and sharing so much about this brilliant, loving man. I love, I've got that image now of Einstein meets Gandhi in my mind, and what a unique combination that is. There are a lot of brilliant people. There are a lot of compassionate people. The most brilliant people are not always the most compassionate, and vice versa. And and what a gift that you had um, and still have to have him in your life and the legacy that he leaves for your family uh, for, for generations. And it just sounds like... Um, such a, such a story. I'm sure a lot of people listening can identify with a lot of us know someone who, as they've gotten older struggles and, and we watch them deteriorate in the, the toll that that takes or the care that they need. Thank you for being willing to be real with us and to share your memories and also share your emotion. I think that's so valuable for the people who are listening to feel that, um, I think the only rule we'll ever give someone who might cry on the show is you'll never cry alone, right, Michelle? We're in here with a box of Kleenex, and (laughs) and we will cry right with you because we can feel the love you and your father share. Um, And I I don't even know you, but I can feel that through this interview that we've conducted. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you to our listeners for listening. Again, this is a three-part series on Alzheimer's we're doing right now. So if you've missed the other two, back up and go listen to those. And as always, if you're listening and you or someone you know has a story of real life and real challenges and real tools to rise above, please reach out. We'd love to share those with our listeners. You can find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient on Facebook and on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. So find us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe, give us a like and a review. We'd love to hear from you and know how we can make the show better to help these conversations take place. And just thank you so much for joining us today and always. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. If you or someone you love is dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's, be sure to go to ALZ.org and you will find an 800 number for support and help and a lot of resources for information and both to take care of your own mind and also resources for support groups uh, for caregivers. 
as always, remember, whatever you do in the world, be kind. You never know what others are dealing with in their own lives. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody.